Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning, everybody. Good to uh, be out with you, and uh, good to have our visitors with us. <clears throat> Got a little bit of an allergy voice today, so please bear with me on that. Today, if you saw the email, we're going to be doing a more of an interactive session as we do here and there uh, throughout um, our lessons. So if we could get some mics ready, uh, and if you have a comment or when we have some questions here, if you want to play along, we would appreciate it. Um, raise your hand and please wait on the mic so the people who are watching on Zoom or on, uh, on our YouTube live stream can, uh, can hear what you're saying as well. All right, so um, you know, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that in our, our last few sermons, what we've been doing is discussing how our reconciliation to God lies at the heart of this ministry of reconciliation. And being ministers of reconciliation is our 2023 uh, theme in, in terms of our preaching and a lot of our teaching. I appreciate very much the songs that Nick uh, picked out today because they very much go with that. We do live as Christians in a kind of already but not yet tension. That is, there are passages we could turn to for trying to prove that the kingdom of God has come, that Jesus inaugurated it. Uh, he, he says that. It's, it's among you, you know. Um, uh, the fact that I'm healing people and casting out demons shows that the kingdom has arrived. That's a text in the Gospels. On the other hand, we know that there's something yet to come. I'll not eat the supper with you until I eat it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Uh, the Hebrews passage that Nick quoted, the next chapter says, you've not yet come to the city, even though he's just said, you've come to, the Mount, Zion, to Mount Zion. So we live in this tension where uh, a new creation has already happened in our own lives if we've become Christians. And we've been reconciled to God, and yet we're given this ministry of reconciliation, which is just another way of talking about the gospel, because what God is ultimately trying to do through Christ is reconcile everything in the world and the world itself, from human beings on out to all creation, back to himself, because sin alienated pretty much everything from God. Um, alienation and estrangement and tension and, and strife are kind of the way the world works um, from individual relationships straight out through all of creation and that's all going to be reconciled in fact that has already been launched that process of reconciliation with the cross and the resurrection where are we in that well that's what we've been talking about here what's the heart though of this ministry of reconciliation so this is our fourth and final installment this little mini series if you will what we're trying to do is talk about this outward-looking directive that God gives us to bring harmony into all these relationships where there was alienation. Where sin brought alienation, redemption in Christ brings uh, reconciliation. But today I want to suspend the lecturing and, and get your involvement. I want to make sure some of Paul's ideas here in 2 Corinthians 5 are landing. And I think sometimes with our Q&A interactive sessions, 
after a few lessons that, that helps us do that. So if you saw the little email primer, you know that we're gonna uh, be uh, addressing some questions that you've already had a look at. So our, 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 our fundamental question this morning is this, how can the reconciled, that is us, if we're Christians, how can we become better reconcilers? Because we're given a ministry of reconciliation. Each of us is to be a minister of reconciliation, a person who works to bring reconciliation and harmony where there was alienation because of sin. So it's not okay for us to just go, it's really cool that I am now with God. You know, you're on your own, world. That's simply not the way it works. Jesus called to himself disciples, and what did he do, you know, and the last words that were recorded in the Gospel of Matthew is that he commissions them to go out. Um, God called Israel from the world so that he might model through Israel to the nations of the world, all of them, uh, through the light of Israel and the covenants of promise that he gave them and their history. At least ideally, they were to be people who were kind of a signpost back to, to Yahweh. So the first thing we want to, the first category of questions this morning is we think of ourselves as these bridge builders, these reconcilers, is that our reconciliation is supposed to kind of seamlessly move into our participation in, in God's whole ministry of reconciliation. So there's this broader ministry of reconciliation. When you become a Christian and you're reconciled with God, when I become a Christian and I'm reconciled with God, there should be a seamless kind of movement from that to, okay, now I am a servant to bring reconciliation to those, to all that is around me. So our first question then is based, and this is kind of by way of review from what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. What text, beginning with any phrase you see in 2 Corinthians 5, in the passage that was just read, 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21, what text there or elsewhere in the Bible um, suggests that our vertical reconciliation, that is, us to God, sinner to God, isn't the end of the, the story in the Bible? You're just getting started. That that should lead on into this wide-ranging, multifaceted, whole ministry of reconciliation it becomes a new cause it becomes your new identity your new bearing through life all right what text suggests that this is a, an all play i used to be a sales rep many you know, in a previous life so i can i know how to sit here and not talk until you talk yes The, it's the simple passage of go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Excellent. That's yep. our bottom line. Yep. Mark 20, I mean, Matthew 28, Mark 16. Mickey? And then I saw some other hands too, I think. Okay, David and then Nikki. I think David was first. I think of 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Right. When we fully realize what God's done for us, we can't help but helping others reconcile themselves to God. Excellent. And David doesn't know this because he just came on board in the last year, but y'all remember we squeezed that passage so many ways, First John, <laughs> like we're squeezing 2 Corinthians 5 right now. We got like just juice out of it that may not even been in it. I, I hope not, but it, we really chewed on it for a while. Nikki? Um, Jake Blair, I'm not sure if he's here today, um, he lent me a book recently that I've started, and um, it's about suffering and compassion and one of the passages in there talks about Colossians 2. And if you go a little bit before that, in Colossians 1, 20, it talks about through him to reconcile himself 
um, all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Mm-hmm. And then it talks about underneath that, Paul says, um, if you indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. And I would love for you to tell everyone about the thing that we talked about together when I was kind of going through my um, just difficulty trying to figure out how I can be a Christian and a light in my job uh, with people, and the bridge reminded me of that. Mm -hmm. And I love this image of being steadfast in the gospel, Mm -hmm. but the gospel is sharing Mm -hmm. God's God's story and um, Jesus to Mm -hmm. others. So it's that image of bridge building, but I love how you described being firmly in the word, but also firmly in the world too. So you said that a lot better than I did, but... Honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> so you might want to just, I, I mean, yeah, we're, like there's, if you, maybe I said something like this, because this is what I've been thinking of. The, the, if you think of the Bible and God's way as, and, and God himself, you know, which the scriptures tell us about God and Christ. If this is one bank, and there's a big gorge between here where people need to get, but where they are is on the other bank. Being ministers of reconciliation or witnesses to the gospel is basically building a bridge across, and it's got to firmly attach to both sides. A bridge that doesn't work if it goes up in the air. It's really attached here, but you have to be in a spaceship to get to it, right? It's got to attach to both sides. And that's where listening to, your, to our culture and, and knowing how people think and, and being not just in the word, but in, in the world in a sense. Um, we're, we're not of the world, but we're supposed to be in it. Um, otherwise, we're useless. We're so, so heavenly that we're no earthly good, you know, as the old saying goes. So you have to, at work or wherever it is, um, kind of think of us as you know, connecting, but connecting to truth, not just being relevant to for what purpose, saying the same old stuff people are already thinking. So there's a kind of two-sided responsibility there. That was is that it. what I said? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Greg and then Nick. It, oh, one thing that comes to me is the story of the talents. You, you had what, five, two, and one. You know, the one guy just kept it to himself. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're supposed to do. Where the others went out and you know, made it grow, did stuff with it. It's, yeah. very, it's much the same situation here. Yeah, that's great. It's, it, it's a very convicting passage. Yeah, Nick. One of our, uh, a couple things running into my head. So in, in our Wednesday night class, we had been in First Peter, and somebody, this was not me, but somebody mentioned that, you know, we're called a kingdom of priests, mm-hmm. and the idea of priesthood necessarily involves the idea of, of bridging or, mm-hmm. or, you know, f- uh, facilitating a relationship between God and some other, some other person. And then that also brought to mind one of our recent memory verses talked about, um, in fact, I think it was last month, talked about being, I will make you a light to the nations, mm-hmm. um, and, and just that idea of that Israel itself and us as, as God's new Israel, as, as the fulfillment of Israel, are supposed to be a light to the nations. Excellent. Appreciate you tying that all together. Anybody else? Yeah, Tanya? I was just thinking when I was in college and I was studying the Bible to become a Christian, I <clears throat> remember studying out all the scriptures on baptism, mm-hmm. and the one that struck, to, struck me was, uh, Matthew three sixteen, and when Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up from the water. Um, so I, I thought, okay, if Jesus did that, then I need to too. So mm-hmm. I think that even though it, it also makes sense for other people if they want to be like Jesus mm-hmm. to follow what he did. Yeah. Great. Yeah, he, he, he embodied, kind of, you know, encapsulated everything, the whole Bible story when he was baptized. You know, it connects it back to 
the baptism of Israel through the Red Sea, even if you think about Genesis 1's creation, the Spirit of God was hovering above the water, and um, I, I'm not going to go into that. I've preached sermons on it before, but there's just this motif of water and going from death and darkness and emptiness to light and life and plenty thriving through water. It's, it, you know, so I kind of think churches of Christ in the last couple hundred years were way more right than they even thought about baptism. It's not just a little plucked out. It's a rule. It's got this giant, thick kind of narrative truth to it, too. Rules aren't bad, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's deeper and it's more heart-grabbing than, than just that. All right, let's move on. I wanted to also make sure we appreciate, this is what I've kind of been hammering on, I think, over the last few weeks, maybe a bit much, I don't know, um, that it isn't just about us and other individuals getting right with God. That's, part, that's the core of the reconciliation, the heart of it, as we've been styling it in this, this little series' this title. But it, it goes beyond that. Really, Nikki quoted Colossians 1.20. Paul says that, that God in Christ was reconciling what to himself? Everything in heaven and earth. Think about that. Everything disintegrated or has this dis, dis, disintegrative or centripetal kind of dynamic away from the hub, which is, which is God, which is Christ. Nothing's been created that wasn't created through him, according to John 1. He holds all creation together according to a couple passages, one in Paul and one in Hebrews, like actively. So there, there's a kind of cosmic aspect of this too. And remember that in Genesis, um, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15, the first pair are told to serve the garden and protect it. That's what the Hebrew words actually mean, Genesis 2, 15. That was the relationship to creation. Initially, that was why they were made, it, it sounds like. We don't read much else about it. They're with God, and God calls them to sort of be his image bearers, be his sort of like lieutenants, you know, and, and husbandmen or, or stewards of creation. That's pre-sin, and now after sin we get Romans 8. We sang a song a minute ago, is, is, is creation groaning? It is, we all said. And that's because Paul says it is in Romans 8. And what's creation groaning? What's it waiting on? When will the groaning of all creation end, according to Romans 8? The redemption of the sons of men. Creation is, is botched because of human sin, and it will be redeemed when we're redeemed. I know that's not the thing we focus on all the time, and it gets all caught up in political conversations about environmentalism and all that, but that, that's pretty wired in, hard-baked into the story of the Bible. Um, so that's part of reconciliation. I mean, that's what God's doing. He's reconciling all things in heaven and earth to Him. Why would we go like, eh? Maybe that's part of it too. Um, and then what about differences between people groups? When people lean into their differences, there are differences, God made them, but like, I don't think he wants us to be wholly defined just by what makes us different. There's an identity, potential for an identity in Christ that doesn't erase our diversity, but completes it, you could argue, like rises above it, includes it, and, and calls us to something even even higher than that, and that's an identity in Christ. That's why in Galatians 3.27 it says when we're baptized into Christ, what's he talking about right there? He doesn't say you're saved, even though I think that's true. That passage is actually telling us there's no Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female, you're all one. It's about unity in diversity, and then he says it, it ties you into the story of the Bible. Heirs according to the promise to Abraham. You're, you're his, that's what that was talking about in Genesis 12. Remember he was blessed, chosen to bless all the nations. So when we look around us today, we see all of this rancor and these people groups divided against each other, you know, 
about immigration or in, in politics, all the different things, you know, that, you know, U Ukraine and, and Russia and uh, Democrats versus Republicans. I mean, just people are, <laughs> to make an understatement, groups of people are fearing and, you know, having suspicion toward anything, anybody different than them. You differ, you differ with me nowadays, you're just evil, right? I remember as a kid in church, two men, 70-year-old men, could sit there and talk about how they voted. One voted Democrat, one voted Republican, and they just were best friends. They were like, we're Christians. We're going to differ over some stuff. Now it's like, you're evil. Like, you can't disagree with, or you're evil. You know, what if into that conversation, into that strife and rancor, the light of a church, just a small group of people who modeled something different. Yeah, they vote their conscience. It's complicated. It's likely that no single gr human group is going to get every single thing right. Probably get some things right, some things wrong. So we're going to vote our conscience and try to be biblical as best we can, all of us. But can we then all agree that our identity in Jesus trumps any of that? That it takes us to something higher than any of that? That's reconciliation in Christ. And then there's the reconciliation between individuals. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Even before leaving your gift at the altar, he says, what? First be reconciled to your brother. It, 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 it's ahead of this religious act, this act of worship. It is an act of worship. So there's all kinds of religious people dealing, living with all, in fact, nurturing all kinds of bitterness and vengeance and grudges. We just don't, we're not, we're not hanging with them. And then coming to church, sitting there. And I think Jesus would say, you want to be pious? You want to be holy? Go reconcile. That's not okay. Yeah, Linda. And then we're going to move on. Great, great stuff, y'all. I appreciate your good comments. I'm learning a lot from everything everybody's saying and being reminded of good things. Yep. As it says, you know, you say you love me, but you hate your brother. You're a liar. Yeah, that's very near the passage David quoted. I'm going to go over in 1 John. That's great. Okay, so um, I'm going to skip this little quote we have next. But even here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, notice it says Christ was, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, the cosmos. That includes individual sinners, but it, that Greek word is everything. All right, I'm going to skip that, and we're going to go to our next, uh, our next uh, point. I want to make the point now that our fervor, how avid we are as ministers of reconciliation, um, our commitment to that, practically, actually, on the ground every day, thinking that way, acting that way, prioritizing the ministry of reconciliation, is, is inextricably connected to our own individual relationships with Christ. It, you'll be as, as fervid and avid for... You're in your role as a minister of reconciliation as you are, as the genuineness of your relationship with Christ is. If that's not intimate, then the commitment's going to be pretty tepid, pretty lukewarm. All right, I want you to notice something here. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's all about being in Christ. Christ. Verse 21, our sake, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So being a minister of reconciliation is a function of our being in Jesus. 
each of us being in Christ. And so that raises a, a question like this. What does it mean to be in Christ? And then how does staying in Christ contribute to our truly living as ministers of reconciliation? Let's explore that link for a minute. Do you understand the question? Let's get Greg. I, th I think about the parable of the debtors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one guy owed more than he could ever pay. And he was forgiven. And that put on him a responsibility then to forgive the, the man who owed him, you know, right. a, some minute amount. Mm -hmm. And I think about that. I think about when we're in Christ, we recognize what it took to reconcile us back to God. Right. How much that cost and how it was beyond our ability to pay. And so that then puts a responsibility upon us mm -hmm. to not only spread that news. And, you know, we talk about reconciliation prior to this mini-series, I pretty much focused on, you know, reconciling myself to God and helping other people get reconciled to God and didn't think too much about reconciling, you know, the world and groups and, you know, uh, you know issues, mm -hmm. Republicans and Democrats, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you've helped expand my understanding of, of this reconciliation and, and, and this debt that we've got now to pay that. Mm -hmm. And the only way we're going to be mindful of that is if we continue to, to maintain that relationship with Christ and understand what it took and what it continues to take. That sacrifice of Christ keeps on going. Right. It wasn't a one-time thing. It keeps on going. That's right. And as we, we sin and we, we need that blood again, it puts us back in there and it just incurs more debt for us to be reconcilers. Yeah. You know, certainly reconciling you know, people to God is, is primary, sure. but there's, there's all these other things that, that go along with it. That's great. Uh, Jake and then Greg Hager. Appreciate that, Greg. The um, Bible says you will know a tree by its fruit. My wife is really good about this. She prays for the fruit of the Spirit, and I think that's something that when we're honest and we look at ourselves and we look at what the, what the flesh brings about, it's jealousy, it's hatred, it's all those things you talked about that mm -hmm that bring division, that bring um, strife, and that ultimately destroy the world. And what we need is something outside of that to come in and fix that. And that's, and like we always talk about, it's not something you can do pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, just trying to be better. You need an outside force, mm -hmm. which is the Holy Spirit to come inside you and, and then start bearing fruit within you. And, that, and that's a sign to the world that something is different here, that God is alive mm -hmm. and that um, things can be reconciled. Great point. I think of Pentecost, you know, like what kind of a paradigmatic moment in the church, I mean, inception of the church in many ways. And what was the key variable that made that happen? It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit from God down into the world. It's, it was, it's crazy stuff. I mean, we, we can expect people to go, are you all drunk? It's 9 a.m. You know, remember, that was the response. But that's, that's what it takes, an infusion from outside, a divine, the divine entering, you know, kind of breaking into the world. Greg? And some of this is what the picture of the church sign I sent out Friday. It's, you know, don't just wear it, the cross, bear it. Yeah, it's, that was good. If you take it, take, really take it to heart, other people will see that. And you'll, your presence will have more meaning. It won't be something always just a that or whatever you're going through. It's... No, it's something he really believes in. Right. That's great. 
All right, so practically how we can stay in Christ, uh, I think thinking about the debt, that we're really like meditating on that, praying for God to enter from outside, you know, bring His Spirit into my life more fully, help me to walk in step uh, with the Spirit. It's our, he's already there. You know, we got, I got to have my antenna up, though. I mean, it's been broadcast all the time, you know. Um, what about, you know, what, what kind of things can we do uh, community-wise? Like, instead of just thinking about it individually, though that's key, also, you know, when we, when we take of the supper, the whole point is um, we who are many partake in one bread, which is one body. Like, there's something about community that strengthens us. We, we see Christ more. We're all parts of his body, according to Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and other passages. Yeah, uh, Nick? So let's think about the communal aspect of, of, of staying in Christ so that we then are that, you know, ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, I mean, the, you, you, just, you just mentioned the, the idea of being a body, and, and Paul digs into that in a lot of detail in, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, where he, you know, he talks about being different parts of a body and having different purposes and, and not being able to put out one part of the body. And so you know, as we look at ourselves as, as Christ's body here, we have to be able to... Um, you know, take the, the strengths and the abilities that each of the members brings, and, and we all have different, that, that may manifest itself in different ways. There are, you know, clearly people in our body who, who think about creation care and reconciling creation, creation itself to, to God. There are people here who are good at and think about reconciling other people mm-hmm. to God. There, there are people who are good at, you know, self-study and self-meditation and helping us, you know, know how to to do things as individuals mm-hmm. in, in building our relationships to God. And so all of those things working together, those parts of this body working together, um, you know, will help us stay in Christ and will help us grow out to, to take those, those aspects, those strengths to other people. Great. One passage that goes along with that, uh, I think I have, I thought I did. Uh, this one, Ephesians 4. Paul loves the one the body imagery. He uses it all over the place. He says there is one body, one body of Christ. All right. So we're we're one body as a local church. But look what he says: how growth, how individual growth happens. Like you want to grow in Christ and have a greater sense of being in Christ and His Spirit flowing through you. He says in verse fifteen of the same chapter, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. That's the goal. We're growing into like little mini Christs as C.S. Lewis calls Christians, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, each part makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this is a picture of every part growing because they're connected to every other part, and the whole growing because all the parts are growing. There's a community aspect to this that's just, you can't separate that from Christianity. We've said before many times that three-quarters of the time the New Testament uses the word you, Y-O-U, it's actually in the plural. It's y'all. Right? We just, that's one thing the South got right. Second person plural. We kept it. Everybody else moved on. And ours isn't sexist either. It's not you guys. We're so progressive in advance. Um, 
and we got sweet tea right. But anyway. Um, so think about that. Like, it, he doesn't really picture it as you just individually over here can do your thing. I'm spiritual, and I don't like corporate religion. Well, I, I don't like a lot of corporate religion. That doesn't mean corporate or bodily Christianity, communal Christianity is the problem. There's just abuses of it. So I, I just think that's really important that we avail ourselves of all the opportunities to be together and study together and sing together and hurt together and rejoice together and pray together and play together. You know, I love the soccer team. They're awful, but, you know, <laughs> for visitors, there are a bunch of our millennials, mostly, right? Maybe a few younger po folks than that. Gen Zers and millennials are playing soccer and their, their record is perfect, too. 0 and 4. Yeah. I didn't say which way. All right, one, a couple more questions. Um, so if we're going to be in Christ, then we need to honestly assess how we relate to Christ. How each of us, because he, even here he says, he's talking about parts, so we got to think about ourselves as parts, as ligament. I'm a ligament, you're a joint, you're an eye, you're a hand, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. We've we got to kind of start it there, but no, that's not where it ends. Think about this question, our last question. Let's take stock of how we each relate to Jesus. Like, don't just take that for granted. It's not something you can just assume and move on. I want you to really critically, introspectively now for a few minutes, think about how you see Jesus. Like, how would you characterize the way you relate to Jesus? What's that? What's the health and, and the, the style and the nature of that relationship? How do you see him? And let me suggest some, some potential problematic ways for, you know, th th that might, uh, might actually be the case with us more than we'd like to think. I don't know. I'm just throwing these out there for you to consider. Do we have an actual relationship with Jesus? Or is he more like an abstraction? I didn't say distraction, though he may be that to you too, truth be told. I'd like to do this, but uh, there's that pesky guilt feeling. I hope we can go a little deeper than that. I'm talking about an abstraction. He's, he's like a... He's, he's just a, like a theological concept. That's way different from a person, right? You married a wife or a husband, but you didn't just marry a wife or You married, you know, I married Cherie. She married Monty. We're, 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 we're not just average humanity. We're individuals with our own quirks and dreams and fears and all this DNA and all of it, pasts and the whole package. And that, that's what I'm saying. Jesus is a person. He's not just a historical figure who did something once that you benefit from. He's not just the label for a bunch of rules. Christ, in your mind, just, it's just the rules. He's a person. So think about whether you know, Jesus is someone we know, or is he merely somebody we know about? That's different. The former gives you vision and dreams and aspirations and a willingness to sacrifice. It gives you love. The latter is kind of like, oh my goodness, okay. Better not do that. Here we go again. Let's pull them up, you know. And it's not joy-inducing. And it doesn't exude joy. Like having your heart captivated. C.S. Lewis says this, um, there have been men before who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care nothing for God himself, as if the good Lord had nothing to do but to exist. 
there have been some who were so preoccupied with spreading Christianity that they never, never gave a thought to Christ. And that raises a question of, do we truly love and adore Jesus? And this is why I had you think about the woman, the sinful woman in Luke 7 who attends the Pharisees' dinner. Jesus is invited, but she shows up too. Um, I want you to think of something you adore, you absolutely adore. Anybody, what, just shout out something. What do you love, like in your heart, like passionately, just selfishly, this is just so interesting and fun and beautiful and exhilarating. I just love it. Your cat. Her cat's not an ordinary cat either. It's like a wild cat. Your family, your grandkids, kids. What else? Coffee. And we've all benefited from the church coffee connoisseur. Motorcycles. Fishing, hunting, tennis, college football in the fall, crispy blue sky morning, and the Razorbacks are coming running through the A. Man, they're fixing to get slaughtered again. But anyway, we, we all have things like that, right? Food, you know, uh, being at the beach, being at the mountains, you know, just the beauty of nature. There's, there's a million things. I'm talking about something, though, that you, so, so you're devoted to that. You, you love it. You adore it. You're not doing some good deed. It's just like, I can't not do this. I, I have to kind of, I'm like, you know, it's, it's like an, almost like an addiction. Like, this is just a thrill. That's what I'm talking about. Romantic love, you know, can be like that for people. Look at this woman in Luke 7. Oh, and we're not going to read it. It's a long text. But how does this sinful woman show her love for Jesus? First of all, just real quickly. Anybody remember? Let's review it. She's got really expensive ointment. And she's, she's behind him at his feet, anoints his feet with this oil, looks very wasteful. And she's kissing his feet and kind of uh, caressing his feet with her hair. Greg? I, I see the, the difference here being formal religion versus, you know, converted to Christ. We mm -hmm. converted to a particular church. Mm -hmm. where we converted to Christ. Exactly, well put. Yeah. And um, you talk about how we relate to Christ. That, that's a very complex question. You mm -hmm. know, you brought up marriage. You know, how, how, are we, how do we relate to our spouses? Mm -hmm. well, on so many different levels. Right. And, you know, Christ in, in one sense is our confessor. In another sense, he's our elder brother. Mm -hmm. You know, in another sense, he's God. He's deity. And we should be, you know, laying prone on the ground. Mm -hmm. So... And, and we should relate to him in all those ways. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, depending on where we are in different times, we're going to relate to him in different ways. Mm -hmm. We might relate to him one way when we're surrounding the table, but we relate to him another way when we're in the wee hours of the night, you know, confessing, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, something. So, sure. yeah, there, there's, that, that's a loaded question. We could it be is. here a while. Yeah, he's our, he's our spouse, right? Church is the bride of Christ. I mean... Anyway, so yeah, that's great. It's great. What, what do you think? So she's just acting like, I mean, the Pharisee, you know, this particular Pharisee is very put off by that. And he, he's thinking things that aren't the most flattering, like and about Jesus, too. Like he wouldn't, this is not appropriate. He would not be allowing this if he's who he said he uh, is. And Jesus knows what he's saying and addresses that and talks about debt 
it's not the most, you know, not the fullest story of that, the, the relative debt, but basically it kind of addresses the source of this intense adoration of heart. She has kind of a devil-may-care attitude. Like, the, I don't care about anybody think, it's like David dancing before the Lord when he's got the, um, when, the when the arcs come back. What, I don't care what you care or what you think. Now, it's me and God right now. That's like just heart, you know, love. And what's the source of it here in her case? Forgiveness, exactly right. Look at, I love the, the way the NIV, it's a little confusing in the ESV to me and some of the other versions, but I think the way the NIV puts it captures the point. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins, she is a sinner. Her, her, her notorious neighborhood reputation is spot on. We're all sinners though. That's not the story really. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. That's where all this, outrageous behavior on her part, you know, just sort of unselfconscious devotion and adoration. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, the truth is we've all been forgiven a whole lot if we're Christians. I think he's talking about here in this last statement, but whoever's been forgiven little loves little. Whoever's perception about their own need for forgiveness is little. And that's the problem. A lot of times we think we're pretty good. Exactly. I, I fast and I go to church and I do this and I do that and I, we're, we're pretty convinced. Yeah, we need everybody on paper needs forgiveness. It's like a theological category. Check that box. We, we don't really take that in. I, I believe this woman, because of her reputation, was crushed. And Jesus takes that burden off and loves her and, and she is affirmed and gets a real true identity probably for the first time in her life and it's just like life changing. And she can't but talk about him and love on him. And if we have that relationship with Jesus, if we're in Christ to that level, we're going to be, we can't wait to get up and minister some reconciliation. Whoever will listen to us. It, it all goes back to what, what your relationship with Jesus is. Let me give you one more question to think about and we'll, we'll stop. So, who do we truly love and adore? Is it a relationship or just an abstraction? And then thirdly, and these are all interrelated, do we genu genuinely appreciate what Jesus has done for us, what the Lord has done for us? You know, another way of saying the same thing, really. Or, here's what we often do, do we take it for granted? Of course I know Jesus did everything for me. Of course I know I'm lost without Him. That doesn't mean you're, you're, it's inside your gut right now. That's head stuff. That's abstraction. That's checking the box. You can take stuff for granted all day long and say, of course, blah, 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 blah. Or do it all the time. You do too, probably. If you're like everybody else I know. You know, it's kind of like this idea, I've got, I've got the Jesus thing in my back pocket now. I did that. I'm saved. I go to church, at least when it's not too inconvenient. And I'm, move on. That's, that's, we know that. Let's move on. You may never safely or can never safely move on from the, the transaction of the cross that handled your sin. That, that ought to be mind-blowing to us every waking moment. That ought to never get old. And if it's getting old, it's because we're not really looking at it. We're not, we're not looking at it in all of its facets. Um, it's, it's like taking things like the debt, Greg mentioned, that debt image. is like, do you realize how in debt you were hopeless before? Your reputation, you were horrific to everyone, right? You were belittled and berated and made fun of and talked about and rejected. Think of the leper that Jesus touched when 
They longed for touch. And I just think sometimes we don't think about our relationship with Jesus that way. We, we've moved on. I, I wonder what he thinks about being taken for granted. Do you like, what do you like? How do you like the feeling of being taken for granted? Is that fun? Well, theoretically, I know. We're not talking about theoretically. We're talking about personal. It's a relationship. It's not an abstraction. I want to look at one more passage. This is, to me, so missional, so much about going out and where that, that impulse to do so comes from. It's Isaiah 6, when he, quote, sees the Lord. Remember that? It, it looks like it's his inaugural vision that kind of commissions him. In the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah 6, 1, I saw the Lord. Think about that. No one can see the Lord and live. Now, it turns out he only, it looks like, sees like the bottom of him or something in a limited way. He was high and lifted up, like, like Isaiah's been lifted up into heaven. And God's train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are angelic beings. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one of the seraphim called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy. Remember that in Hebrew when you say something three times like that? It's like the end of all ends of all holiness. Like this is a holiness. This is an otherness and a set-apartness. It is mind-blowing. Perfect and complete otherness is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Remember the Hebrew word glory is weight. This, this, this is a substantiveness like nobody, I've, I've never seen it. And what's his response? Anybody remember? Before that. Yeah. Woe is me. Yes. He sees the Lord and he sees his sin. That's one of the problems. We don't really see the Lord like we should. So we think we're pretty good. It's not... Our sins aren't backlit by that, that level of light. It's just a little light. If it was the glory, the, the glory of the light that he really is, our sins would look glaringly bad. And that's what he sees, because he's seen the Lord. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But then there's a twist, and it's basically the twist that is the gospel. Then one of these angelic beings flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this, is, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And as Greg said, trying to steal my thunder, The next question is, whom shall I send? This is from the Lord. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he says, now, now that he is like just revolutionized in his heart, here am I, send me. And I want to tell you, you cannot talk enough about grace, which means you cannot talk enough about sin. Because grace doesn't mean, grace is only as light as sin is dark. The gospel is only as good news as being lost was bad news. The one's got to backlight the other, it doesn't, it's not going to pop. You're going to, we're going to easily go, ah, no, I know, it's in my back pocket, now let's go play. Let's go make some money. Let's go be like everybody else who doesn't believe anything. You know, let's just, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing or making money, I'm just saying that, that's it. Jesus is this thing you control in your back pocket. He hasn't revolutionized your heart. And that's because we don't slow down enough to look at him and be with him and see his glory and to, 
to feel our sin in the light of his glory and then to feel his love like something that just mind-blowingly beautiful. And when we, when we do that, and you've all had moments like this, we want to go do more of that. Amen. Here I am, send me. He didn't even know what he, where he's going yet. Remember what God goes ahead to say? They're going to beat the tar out of you, basically. You're, you're, they're not going to see it. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to feel it. They're going to reject you over and over and over. But Isaiah, he doesn't even ask that question. He just wants to go where God is. So when, I'll just leave us with this question because we're out of time. When you or I are less committed to Christ's ministry of reconciliation than we should be, and we know it, it's, how might that stem from a lukewarm personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah, it totally comes from that. And so that's what we need to think about more and focus on more. Because if the heart of the ministry of reconciliation is my and your reconciliation vertically to God, then the heart of that is having a real relationship with God, which goes back to the basic story of the Bible, the gospel, that I am a sinner lost. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's let that percolate, you know? To use the coffee, we'll bring it around to Corey's coffee connoisseurship. Let's let that percolate. Let's stew in that. Bible words meditate. You know, chew on it. Thank you for your attention today. Appreciate everybody playing along. Great comments. Learned a lot. Uh, I really appreciate it. Let's try to be a church that models this ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Let's stand and sing with Nick. <laughs>